0: This is study 9 from the book of Job, from chapter 38, 39, and the first half of chapter 40. At last we get the voice from the whirlwind. Finally, at last, after all the human argument, the Lord speaks out of the storm, or the whirlwind as most of the translations translate the word here. Even now, if we expect conclusive answers to all the questions Job and his friends have thrown up, we're going to be disappointed. There are some answers, but also some fundamentally unanswered questions, questions that will never find an answer in this world. It's a huge passage, but it all needs to be read together. It will lose its force if I break it up into short bits. So here it is. Find a Bible later and read it again for yourself. But here is the first reading from chapter 38, verse 1 onwards. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb when i made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness when i fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place when i said this far you may come and no farther here is where your proud waves halt have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it. The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth tell me if you know all this what is the way to the abode of light and where does darkness reside can you take them to their places do you know the paths to their dwellings surely you know for you were already born You have lived so many years. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, the days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed, or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain, and a path for the thunderstorm? TO WATER A LAND WHERE NO ONE LIVES, AN UNINHABITED DESERT, TO SATISFY A DESOLATE WASTELAND AND MAKE IT SPROUT WITH GRASS. DOES THE RAIN HAVE A FATHER, WHO FATHERS THE DROPS OF DEW, FROM WHOSE WOMB COMES THE ICE, WHO GIVES BIRTH TO THE FROST FROM THE HEAVENS, WHEN THE WATERS BECOME HARD AS STONE, WHEN THE SURFACE OF THE DEEP IS FROZEN? Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons, or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds, and cover yourself with a flood of water, Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you? Here we are. Who gives the ibis wisdom? Or gives the rooster understanding? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness? and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens, or lie in wait in a thicket? Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God, and wander about for lack of food? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know that time they give birth they crouch down and bring forth their young their labor pains are ended their young thrive and grow strong in the wilds they leave and do not return who let the wild donkey go free who untied its ropes i gave it the wasteland as its home the salt flats as its habitat It laughs at the commotion in the town. It does not hear a driver's shout. It ranges the hills for its pasture, and searches for any green thing. Will the wild ox consent to serve you? Will it stay by your manger at night? Can you hold it to the furrow with a harness? Will it till the valleys behind you? Will you rely on it for its great strength? Will you leave your heavy work to it? Can you trust it to haul in your grain and bring it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, though they cannot compare with the wings and feathers of the stork. She lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them that some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly, as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labour was in vain, for God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. Yet when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rider. Do you give the horse its strength? or clothe its neck with a flowing mane. You make it leap like a locust, striking terror with its proud snorting. It pours fiercely, rejoicing in its strength, and charges into the fray. It laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. It does not shy away from the sword. The quiver rattles against its side, along with the flashing spear and lance, in frenzied excitement it eats up the ground it cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds at the blast of the trumpet it snorts "Aha!" it catches the scent of battle from afar the shout of commanders and the battle cry does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread its wings towards the south does the eagle soar at your command and build its nest on high. It dwells on a cliff, and stays there at night. A rocky crag is its stronghold. From there it looks for food. Its eyes detect it from afar. Its young ones feast on blood, and where the slain are, there it is. The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. And then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. And then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Race yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's, and can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor, and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath, Look at all who are proud, and bring them low. Look at all who are proud, and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them all in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. Perhaps the first thing to notice in the very first verse is that it is the Lord, Yahweh, who is speaking. This is the personal name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, given to Moses at the burning bush. I have been referring to God as the Lord throughout these studies, because I reckon that is the way that we commonly think of Him. By doing so, we tend to confuse God the Father with Jesus, but that is no bad thing. But in fact, ever since the beginning of the arguments at the start of chapter 3, he has been spoken of as God, or God Almighty. Suddenly, the relationship is much closer. Job has been dismayed by not having the felt presence of God with him. He said, If only I knew where to find him, if only I could go to his dwelling." If I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. Now suddenly the Lord is there in front of him in somewhat terrifying fashion, not quietly, soothingly, but in the whirlwind. In C.S. Lewis's famous children books, Aslan the lion stands for Christ. The children are warned, he is not a tame lion. Our God, the same as Job's, is not tame. We started study one with four questions. One, does the cause effect principle operate in the moral and social world? Two, has the Lord left us with a basically chaotic world? 3. How can we live wisely in this sort of world? And 4. Can we trust in the reliability of God if He presides over this sort of world? To these we must now add a fifth from Elihu's arguments. 5. Are the problems of life caused by the Lord's need to discipline us for our good. But this last is not considered in these chapters. We have, I think, a clear answer to question two. Yes, this is a chaotic world. Most of the first of these chapters is about the chaos of the weather. In many parts of the world the weather does tend to change according to a fairly steady pattern, warmer or cooler every day than the day before. It doesn't work that way in the UK, where a weather pattern scarcely exists. There was clearly enough variation in the weather of the land of Oz for it to be described as chaotic. The next chapter adds to that impression of uncontrollable chaos. Six animals are described. The first four are all just about as wild and untamable as they could possibly be. The last two... The horse and the hawk, though tameable, are depicted as fierce and wild. Chaos rules. Okay. The trouble is that the systematic theologies and the Bible dictionaries, drawing on a wide range of scripture, say something quite different. Things like, God upholds his creatures in ordered existence and governs all events, circumstances and free acts of angels and men they can of course quote a wide range of texts about counting the hairs on our heads and sparrows falling etc and are quite right in what they say this is one of the points where the wisdom literature job ecclesiastes proverbs challenges the more conventional outlook of the bulk of scripture It is a useful and important challenge. God is in control, but we are not God. So to us it all looks thoroughly chaotic, as it did to Job and his friends. Some people seem to think they're only being properly spiritual if they relate everything, good or bad, immediately back to the hand of the Lord. But that is not what the book of Job does. We have been told that all the calamities that fell on Job had a secondary cause. So although in the last chapter of the book we shall read about all the trouble the Lord had brought on him, that doesn't remove the sense that the events described in these two chapters are at a second order remove from the Lord. And the pervading sense of a chaotic world, right through the book, and particularly in these last chapters. From our perspective, the world is a chaotic place, as it was to these guys. Question. Have you thought through how you think about and deal with the traumas of life? Be aware that not everybody will have the same answers to that question. Everyone's answer will depend on many factors such as personality, church culture, society culture, experiences, etc. It is important to have thought these things out and to have an answer to that question so that you do not lose faith when trouble hits, to say... I no longer believe because this or that happened, is pathetic. The book of Job is designed so that will not happen. The answers to questions 1 and 3, concerning the cause-effect principle and the way to live wisely, are not much in view here. But they don't need to be. The whole book has repeatedly raised the CEP, only to show that it does not work, either directly in context or by contrast with the terrible disasters that afflicted Job. Living wisely has also appeared throughout the book. In this passage we are asked, who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Obviously expecting the answer, only the Lord, thus emphasizing that He is the true only and complete source of real wisdom. We are also told that the ostrich lacks wisdom simply because the Lord did not give her wisdom. Only in the fear of the Lord, in honouring and trusting him, is wisdom to be found. When we have finished probing and analysing, we need to be careful that we have not missed the real force of this speech from the whirlwind. In total, it is saying, look at this world in which you live. Thrill to the never-ending pageant of the weather. Be awestruck by the variety and the majesty of the animals that inhabit it. Realize how small and insignificant you are. When you, Job, have regained your sense of proportion, Stopped agonizing about an impossible desire for what you think would be justice. Only then will you be able to accept you are where you are and start living again, start moving forward, gain wisdom. And as it was for Job, so it is for us. Unfortunately, many of us will have one big disadvantage Job did not have. So I want to share with you one huge question to which I do not know the answer. It comes to my mind because these chapters are so full of the natural world. I am a small town boy who has always loved the countryside, enjoyed the wind and the rain, as well as the sun and the snow, and escaped to the hills and the country as often as possible. So these two chapters are very meaningful to me and give out a great picture of the Lord and his ways. But my question is this. Most of the world's peoples live in big cities with concrete underfoot and smog overhead. Perhaps that describes your circumstances. If so, how then, where then, you get your pictures of the Lord from. I know many people live vibrant and meaningful spiritual lives in such situations. I hope you do. But how? Think about it. Discuss it with your friends. And draw strength from what the Lord tells you together.